Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and Emma Rassiano is back. This is her fourth appearance on the show, which I think is a new record. I think is a new record for appearances on the Philosophy podcast. So you know from that how much I love Em. This is a conversation that was recorded about a month ago. And uh, you will know that from when you talk about Christmas and all those sort of things. But also because we talk about a show that Em is doing at the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl in Melbourne. Huge show that uh, I guessed was at the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl. And uh, it had not been revealed at the time. But it has been revealed since then and is currently on sale. In fact, I'm sure that tickets are going incredibly quickly. So you'll want to get in for that. So Thursday the 18th of March. Thursday the 18th of March is uh, Em's gig at the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl. She is an incredible live perform we talk a lot about what the show will be in this episode so if you can still get tickets they've been on sale for about a week now so if there is still tickets available then i highly recommend going and checking out emma rassiano at the sydney Meyer music bowl if you happen to be in melbourne go and support live outdoor comedy in melbourne always a pleasure to have em back on the show and this is a catch-up episode so if you go to our patreon patreon.com slash philosophy thank you to everybody who has and who contributes to the show you can join up for as little as a dollar per month and in return you get an ad free version of this so you can listen to the episodes ad free but also you can get them a day early and if we can get up to a regular over five thousand dollars per month that's our budget to do two episodes of philosophy per week so one will be a brand new episode with a brand new guest like tony armstrong earlier this week and then a catch-up episode with a previous philosophy guest like this m1 that you're listening to right now we want to do that regularly this year you know, fortnightly, monthly, if we get the budget to be able to pay Podcast Mike uh, to put all the episodes together and coordinate it and explain to our guests how they can set up their microphone so it sounds like we're in the same room and not over Zoom or the World Wide Web in some way. Uh, James Fosdyke, who does all the incredible artwork for the episodes, and you can check out all James's art at tofop.com because Willosophy is part of a little indie media company that my friend Charlie Clawson and I run uh, along with our partner Sam Kavanagh and uh, Podcast Mike and Taylor who does all our socials and James who does our art. It's a little family that we have, a tiny little indie media company and we make a bunch of shows. We make a show called Tofop that Charlie and I, our original show that we've been doing now for over 10 years and then there is a spin-off from that show called Fofop which I do with various other comedians including uh, quite regularly Dave Anthony from The Dollop, Gareth Reynolds from The Dollop, Justin Hamilton, um, uh, Jen Kirkman. Anyway, a whole bunch of regular guests that I have on that and a whole bunch of new guests as well. Um, there is this show, Philosophy, of course, that you were listening to right now. And if you like AFL football or if you like a show that really isn't about AFL football, is AFL adjacent. That's what we call it. Charlie and I have a show called Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast. And at the moment, uh, Charlie is doing some spin-offs of that where he is interviewing uh, various celebrities about why they support the team that they support. So I highly recommend you go and check out Charlie's season of Two Guys, One Cup. So you can find all those shows at tofop.com. If you want to send us mail, you can go to tofop.com. There is a drop menu there where you can send mail to any of the shows. And of course, if you're on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash philosophy, you can always send me a message there about something from the show, about something that's going on in your life. Often that comes up. And of course, uh, suggestions for guests uh, who could appear on the episodes. So I always like to take them from our Patreon subscribers. So uh, patreon.com slash philosophy is the place to go. Tofop.com for all the other shows. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. We did not get to 5,000 this month, but 
we got close enough. So I'm giving you this bonus episode with M. Rossiano. Uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. She's always an absolute cracker. And uh, this episode is no exception. Here's M. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And I'm doing a catch-up episode. This is when I check back in with a previous guest who's been on the show to see what they've been up to. And I think this now officially makes this guest the most appeared on this program. It's, it's look, It started a little rocky, but it's come home strong. That's what I like to think. Uh, this is how the show starts. You know, you've been on it more than anybody else. I ask you who you are. So who are you? I'm M. Rossiano. Back for my fourth time. Going strong. You. Hello, M. Rossiano. It is lovely to see you. You are sitting on quite a delightful, I'm going to say throne. It feels like a throne that you are sitting on today. It is sort of an ornate garden-style chair, then decorated with the most lavish flower display behind you. You really feel like you're some tropical island queen. You've gone on some holiday to some tropical island, and they have loved you so much. In fact, they've discovered some lost civilization that's only been communicating with the outside world based on your your videos and your shows, and they worship you as a queen. That's what it looks like you're on today. Oh, my God. Thank you for my next show idea. I love that island it's fantastic it's fueled by anxiety and glitter it's good it sounds like wonder woman with much less budget wow uh so are you were, tell me yeah. about the throne no the, the throne the throne is the throne is just because i was doing so much zoom and um i wanted something that was kind of colorful color and movement which is often why i'm brought onto projects anyway so um Colour and movement for people. And, you know, I just love really bright things. I've always had the throne and then I just stuck some flowers in it. Oh, it's, it's a conversation piece. Like your bloody colour-coordinated bookshelf. Everyone notices them. So we were speaking about this before we started recording and uh, I did say to you, the one thing I know about having a colour-coordinated bookshelf, particularly in the back of the Zoom calls I've been doing this year, is it elicits very firm opinions in people. Some are very pro it, some are very against it, but there is a rare person who is agnostic when it comes to <laughs> colour coding your bookshelves. Agnostic. I am I'm pro do whatever the fuck you want now at approaching forty two. My times of having strong opinions are long gone. Um, I'm very wishy-washy on my opinions now, except for certain things. Uh, but no, I think it's great. I love it. I love that sense of organisation and it's pretty and it's really pleasing to the eye. And I, I'm really surprised that people get so strongly against it. Like, what's going on for them in their lives? Well, particularly in this day and age where books, you can just have them all on your like, you know, phone or your tablet or your computer or these sort of things. So in which case they're all organised into alphabetical order or genres or whatever the fuck they are anyway. So if that's what you want them organised in, <laughs> you've got your apps, yes. you can do this. I think in real life now when you're taking a book out into public, they are not just practical, they become decorational as well. You know, part of the vibe is, look at this, I have a stack of books and they're all kind of pretty colours and they sit in the corner of my office and it makes me feel 
you know, peaceful when I come down here to work. It makes me feel inspired. It's pleasing to my eye, much like your gorgeous throne that you're sitting on here today. I love that for you. (laughs) I think it's great. And anyone has a problem with it, I mean, I think that's more a them thing, not a you thing. Talk to me about this idea because it was something that you said, I think, half in jest, but I think it has some resounding truth to it, is this idea of less firm opinions. <laughs> yeah. Because what, what do you mean by that? What has your journey been on with, you know, opinions? And, <laughs> and yeah, unpick that a little bit more for me. I have spent this past, you know, five, six months in hard lockdown really going through it. Um, I really unraveled just because I had so much time to think about things and I wasn't, you know, busy, 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 even to the point of like the house was done, the kids were fine and Melbourne were kind of in this weird semi-lockdown phase where obviously being a live performer, still not doing that, but doing enough. But I just realised I'm just – I'm not quite sure who I am, Will. Um, And I started seeing a psychologist again and um, I realised that I've spent my whole life – contorting myself to please other people that I've never known what it is to please myself so it's been a time of unraveling and unpicking the kind of different myriad versions of M and working out what makes me happy what I'm interested in that's not performative that's actually genuinely true to me and and not trying to get a like or get a pat on the back or get a clap and I found that being really ironclad on my opinions, which I've kind of been known for my whole life, was kind of stunting my growth and also bringing my a lot of pain and misery. So I just found opening up to being more fluid on situations and saying yes. I mean, I've always said yes to things, but sometimes I just shut stuff down because I didn't like the vibe of it or I don't know, really stupid ideas because <laughs> I didn't want to leave the house that day. Um And I've just found being really rigid on stuff has actually made my anxiety worse because Mm -hmm. when things don't go the way I planned or if things are uncertain, I get the adrenaline in my stomach, I start sweating, I start thinking about ways I can cancel it. So now I just try and be a little bit more free and fluid with things. And when information comes to me or when someone's behaviour comes to me, um, I try not to be reactionary. I try to kind of go... And, and I'm not good at it yet, but it's definitely a new way of being. Going like, okay, so what's going on for that person? And was that a really a personal attack or are they in a bad place? And how am I feeling about myself today? Would that comment have annoyed me yesterday when I thought I looked thin and hot? So um, that's what I've been doing over the past few months. <laughs> so I love this for a start because I think that a lot of people have been going through this and I find it weird <laughs> When I talk to somebody who hasn't been going through this, yeah. <laughs> like if, when I talk to somebody and they're not having a complete, you know, crisis of everything that they believe to be true and a complete unpicking and unraveling of it, I am incredibly, I'm like, do you not watch the news? <laughs> have you not seen what's going on this year? Why are you not examining society from top to bottom and everything about it? Yes. Because that's exactly what... Let's I normalize. feel like I have been doing as well. Let's normalize existential crises, guys. That's what it is. I most of the conversations I have with people, it, like, I'm a bit like you now, where you know something's gone wrong, they're treating me in a mean way or whatever. All I want to say to them is like, I know, mate, it has been a tough year, hasn't it? <laughs> Same. I get it, mate. Yep, yep. I get it. Yep, I'm the same. I got real mad at my compost the other day. <laughs> I understand. Whatever it is you're going through. 
I get it. Yeah, it's the same. It, there's this now this, this completely ginormous Herculean overshadowing thing of all the shit that's gone on and anything I try and bounce off it just pales in insignificant. I'm like, oh, just let it go, Rassiano. Doesn't matter, man. You've got this big fucking mountain of misery that's shadowing the world at the moment. Let it go. Doesn't matter that your neighbour's builders moved your compost bin and it didn't fucking get taken. My bloody here, like bin space is premium because we're all home and the builders next door, they moved it and our garbos are like militant. If it's not on the right spot on the curb, they leave it. So now we've got two weeks of recycling to deal with and it's Christmas. So... But it's fine, I've let it go. <laughs> Everyone's having a tough year. You're just like, I get it, mate. Do you need a hug? It's fine. Pretty much. <laughs> so tell me then, because the dismantling of self mm. is something that is an incredible like normally, you know, you're in a you're in Peru doing an ayahuasca ceremony or something <laughs> when you realize that everything that you believe to be true is suddenly not true and that you see the universe from a completely different perspective. But it feels like instead we've been having a nine months, you know, kind of micro dose ayahuasca trip where we've yep. been forced to reevaluate everything. So, like, walk me through how that's been for you. It's been horrific. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's been. It's kind of been exhausting in that, you know, you start thinking, am I completely shit dumpster fire human? Like, has this been a thing that everyone's known that no one's told me because they were scared of me? Um, no, I mean, I, the thing that saves me at my core, at my flagpole, I'm a good person with a big mm. heart who means well. And I know that to be true. So that's been my saviour over these past few months. But it's just been, you know, mainly it's been you ever called? Have you ever called a show or a project means well? Because I think M. Rossiano means well would be a great title for something that you do at some stage. Yeah, I've been toying with ideas for names. I should put that in there, actually. Because I honestly do. And I'll get, yeah. like, uh, just we, we um, the podcast, we hired a new producer and she... She's, she was really honest and she said, oh, you know, when I told people I was working for you, I got a really mixed bag of responses. And that's probably what triggered me into this new phase. Um, so that was about six months ago where she came on board and, um, and I said, oh, really? She said, yeah. And she said, it's really hard to Google news your name. Like I wanted to kind of get on top of what was going on with you. And she said, there's some really awful stuff written about you. And I was like, oh, Really? Okay. And so I was just spiraling again and, and she um she didn't mean to do it, but that was probably the trigger was that idea that there are still people out there that have this idea of me. And so I really drilled down on that and I really drilled down on her. What were they saying about me? Like what were the specifics? So it was that um I'm really demanding, that I'm rude, that I'm a bitch, that I'm um, terrifying, that, um, you know, all the things, nothing, nothing new. But, but just. Uh, yeah, no, I thought you were about to say, I mean, nothing bad. No. <laughs> all good qualities. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, and, in, and again, like, that could all be flipped in, you know, all the ways. And I've had all the things. If I was a man, blah, blah, blah. But that's all, doesn't matter. That, that's what the reality is. So that was, that was kind of the catalyst. And then I started thinking about, how I've wrapped my identity in that and how I've allowed that to dictate my self-esteem and are those things true about me? And um, they're not. And I kind of got to a point, especially my psychologist and myself, where I was able to forgive myself for all the stuff we've talked about on the previous episodes, the behaviour during Breakfast Radio, that bubble that you're in, the personalities that you're with that don't necessarily mesh with your own. 
you know, the, the circumstances around my life at the time, I'd, I'd had a baby die, I'd gotten pregnant, I had the hardest job in radio, everyone was kind of against us, all that shit. I never really kind of threw in the mix of how I was viewing myself. So the, I was able to kind of just go, you know what, that was a point in time, but that doesn't necessarily define who M. Rossiano is forever. It's certainly an aspect of me and, and a part of my journey, but... um. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm really actually proud that I survived it and came out the other side. And, um, you know, so many wonderful things have come since then. So it's just been a process of forgiving myself, which has been the toughest thing because I'm a comic and a performer. I fucking hate myself, obviously. <laughs> like, well, obviously you could cling to the negative criticism. Firstly, yeah. I would re- reiterate something that Briggs said early on this podcast earlier in the year, which I think is very relevant to this, which is why would you take criticism from people you wouldn't take advice, advice from? from. Yeah. It's, it's a, such a good way to look at it because – that you wouldn't take advice from the Daily Mail on what you should be doing with your career and you wouldn't take, you know, advice on, from Sydney Confidential about what you should be doing with your art and your music no. and your comedy. Like, you wouldn't take advice from them. So why the fuck should you care about what their criticism yeah. is? But secondly, then I think when you go through shitty times, and this is what we've been through as a universe, like, you know, well, as a you know, our universe, human beings, the universe of human beings, what we have been through in this time has been shitty from top to bottom in different ways and obviously demonstrably more shitty for those at the bottom than it is for those at the yes, top. But yes. everybody's been going through something and now we have that choice of do we allow that terrible thing that we went through, that we survived, to turn us into better people or do we feel like we have to, now that that is what people think we are, that is what we have to be forever mm. because that would be a terrible way for us to go forward from here. Yeah. I think that on a on a global scale, we need to be looking at the shit that we've done wrong, deciding whether it's true or false, and then deciding whether we want it to be true or false, you know, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And look, to, and to be clear, I mean, obviously we went through it in Melbourne, but on the, on the grand scheme of things, we didn't have any financial problems. We have a house over our head and I got to spend a magnificent year with my 18-year-old that I got a bonus year with my 18-year-old daughter. And I've been really sad recently because she started going out again and how dare she having the social life that she should be having now that she's 19. I'm getting teary thinking about it. But I've just had this most wonderful year with my teenage daughter that I would not have got if she hadn't been literally legally forced to be locked in the house with her family. So I, I'm grateful for that. And I'm also, I'm coming out the other side of this like intense, you know, situation mentally. And I think I'm going to be grateful for it. I think I'm already feeling lighter about stuff and, you know, more, um, not as fragile and, and resilient. So I think uh, and the big, I mean, it's awful and it's horrible that so many people had to die, but this thing obviously was going to happen regardless of if I was going to have a, a midlife crisis or not. So um, at the end of it all, I'm not looking at this year negatively, as stupidly, as, as ridiculous as that sounds. I'm not viewing 2020 in a negative light. I've just, I, I think to survive, but also if I'm really honest and unpack all the things that happened this year because of it, it's ultimately been positive for myself and my family. 
Well, look, if you're looking to have a midlife crisis, which I think is, you know, a bit of what I've been having as well. I think I've been having one for about the last three or four years <laughs> in different forms. But if you're looking for a year to really lean hard into your midlife crisis, this was a great year because there was just plenty of cover. You know, <laughs> so you could really cover. have quite an undercover midlife crisis oh, without did. anyone really noticing. I fucking did. I did. It was so good. There was so much cover. There was so much like pajamas for four days on end, you know, like just... What? It's fine. Getting like up. normally, if everybody else is getting on with their business and you're in your pajamas four days a year, everyone's a like, "What's going on with them?" <laughs> everyone's like, "You're in your pajamas for four days." Fine. Like at one stage, Amy said to me, "She goes, you've been wearing those clothes for three days. Have you showered?" <laughs> and I was like, "I'm not sure. Time means nothing anymore." <laughs> true well the thing with the pandemic is your standards can drop you can have no standards right no personal hygiene no diet i'm drinking alcohol at 10 a.m is it a problem no it's pandemic okay fine not a problem would be it wasn't a pandemic but um no it's been look will i mean i'm always going to be this tortured work in progress because i overthink everything and i don't think i can change that wiring in my brain um but i'm just trying to find a way to move through life a bit gentler and quieter, more reflective. Um, yeah, just for my own being able to put my head on the pillow at night and go to sleep. <laughs> so, okay, talk to me about how this represents itself artistically because I'm super interested in this at the moment. People <laughs> seem to be back doing shows, Yeah, which um, I had a very funny conversation with a friend of mine the other night, which is this, what he said to me is not true, by the way, but I just liked the way that he said it. Yeah. I thought it was very funny because I was having this quite in-depth conversation about how tortured I was about, <laughs> um, you know, I haven't gone back. It's been like, you know, 10 months, 11 months since I last did comedy. I'm not really sure what I want to do. When I come back, are people going to be safe? Am I still going to love it? What am I going to say? None of my old material feels, feels relevant anymore. And I'm like really going through all the these things that I've been torturing myself with and then he just looks at me and goes mate everyone's back just come back (laughs) 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 you're the only one who's holding out it's fine just come back but I'm I'm not I'm holding out I um yeah I'm the same as you (sighs) because (laughs) I'm really like everything you said you basically um, unlocked everything I've been thinking. Are people going to be safe? My material is – I mean, my material will has – I mean, I've got so much stuff that's happened this year that it's just I have to kind of collate and, and, and think about how much of it is for public consumption. Um, but, no, I have booked a show. Um, I'm playing a show in Melbourne at an outdoor venue that I'm not allowed to say yet, but, you know, put two uh, and two together. Um mm. It's, the Sydney Maya Music Bowl. I'm not not saying I, that. I guess. <laughs> so, I do not know what the answer to this question is, but I'm just going to guess. Uh, sure. It's in Melbourne. Yeah. It's an outdoor area. Yeah. Something. <laughs> I'm not reading it. Could be anything. No, I'm saying, oh, no, it's the beer garden at the, at the Connors Club. Sorry. Yes. Could be beer garden at Connors Club. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's coming in on March 18th. And mm-hmm. so I'm really, I've already, like, there's no dancing vaginas. Um, <laughs> I'm pairing it right back. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, oddly, I'm going to do more of what I want. So I'm going to be doing more singing than comedy um, mm. and um, and just no big costume. Uh, 
just like a nice frock. You know, I like to get dressed up. Um, I'm not an animal. And <laughs> a, a, like a, a big band because that's what I love. And um, I'm just going to – I'm not planning – I'm not meticulously planning material is what my approach is for this. So I'm going to have a loose idea, but I more want to have a conversation with my audience because it has been so long since I've seen them and the way this will be set up is I will be able to do that and I don't know I just wanted to kind of it's a check-in it's almost like a show where I can get 2,700 people together and um, check in and be like hang on 2,700 people I'm starting to think this isn't the beer garden (laughs) whoops I mean a couple, 20. <laughs> Anywhere between 27 and 2,700 people Whoops. together. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Could be anywhere, guys. Could be anywhere. Um, so, yeah, uh, for me, it's more of a get-together with mates I haven't seen in a year. And um, we're just going to talk about, you know, all this shit that went down in our houses. We're going to sing some 90s bangers because that's what we love. Um, I'm going to do a few of my originals and um, – I think my comedy moving forward is going to be a little less performative uh, and a little, it's not even going to be comedy. It's just going to be more of what lights me up because I realized this year, what lights me up is making other people happy on stage. Mm -hmm. And I've really, really missed looking out to a a sea of faces with shiny eyes, clutching their friend's hand. Um, I feed off of that kind of energy and it felt like, all the effervescence went out of my blood this year when I couldn't do it. I felt like a flat, like Charlie Brown, like George Michael Michael, like just walking around. So when we booked this, um, I all of a sudden felt like alive again and upright and, and um, thought about I'm not going to put on a big production. I'm not going to, you know, it was just fucking expensive. <laughs> I'm just going to go out there in this new version of me, which is hopefully more me than the other stuff. And um, look, it's not to say come November when I put on a big sh- tour, I'm not fucking flying in a trapeze. Who knows? But at this point in time, this next performance, this next iteration of me will be not so many bells and whistles and covers of um, all the shit that I'm going through, <laughs> a bit more honest. Okay, so I'm, I'm really fascinated by this because it occurs to me that you know, I think sometimes we can use this as a pejorative and it shouldn't be, but, you know, you're an entertainer. Yeah. That's what you really are. Yeah. You're like a proper, you know, modern version of an old school entertainer. You're the girl from Oz. You're yes. the female Hugh Jackman is what I'm saying. Thanks. But, you know, it, it is. It's singing, it, dancing, comedy. Yeah. It's all It's all of those things. Like, yeah. it doesn't – it can be more of one or the other, but, you know, it can be covers, it can be originals. It's not – about it all being one thing. It's the combination of those things that actually makes what you do exciting. And sometimes that getting to your real self, like if you do put in too many dancing vaginas, people get distracted (laughs) by the dancing vaginas and they don't see you amongst the vaginas. You can't see him for the vaginas. I know. It's a beautiful metaphor. Um, It's true. It's true. And I think I thought a lot about why... I've always gone so big and why I've always tried to shield, I don't know, put this big barrier between my audience and I. And I think it's because I wasn't really sure who I was projecting. Mm. Um, I think now I'm a bit surer and I'm less afraid of who that person is. Um, I'm less like I, I want there to be as little haze and, and pyrotechnics and lycra between my audience and I as possible. 
this this show. Um, I don't know what will happen next show, but all I can – and that's another thing. I'm not going to – constantly project into the future, which is a big part of my anxiety. And um, <clears throat> I'm now more about kind of what's the next thing? Okay, how are we going to get there? Rather than what's the next, next, next thing? So um, the next thing is this show on March 18th and it's going to be a new experience for me in that I'm also going to just be the artist and not control everything. I am actually allowing Frontier, my touring company, to do everything. And Sahara, who's the head of touring, said, are you sure? And I said, yep. She said, you're not going to interfere? I said, no. She said, oh, my God. People are just going to be so excited about this. I said, oh, fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) Another lesson to learn. Put it in the book of things I've got to work on. The control freak aspect. So it's like I now know that at Frontier, when the phone would ring, there'd be a collective eye roll. And I would be involved in shit like I think we need uh, 27 units of the extra large Emraciano T-shirt. Like that's what I was getting involved in. The merch numbers. So no more. I'm just- <laughs> well, that yeah, none of that is your business. No. You, should, you you really don't need to know about those. Oh my sort of god, things. I'm a professional, Mrs. Mangle. Everything has to be my business. Like honestly, I've got to just. It's gonna be good. It's like it's a whole new way, and it's really hard. <laughs> There's a great joy in empowering other people, like trusting other people, yes. saying to other people, "Hey, I." Like, I mean, I find this with the team I have at Gruen and why I think they're just so fucking amazing. And I was blown away by them this year on the show because there were so many elements of making that show. Like I said, I think every single person's job was made harder by the circumstances. I mean, everybody, you know, even if you're the person booking the travel and all these sort of things, they were all made more difficult and you had to have more contingencies on all these sort of things. So literally everyone who works on the project had to do a harder job and almost everybody to a person made it look easy, Mm -hmm. like having to step up 15, 20%. And it just showed me if you just have faith in people, people, you know, if you have the right people around mm. you in the first place, but if you show them faith, mm. they will always outdo what you could have done by micromanaging yeah. their situations. Yeah. It's, I think you'll love it. I think you'll love seeing <laughs> other people yes. grow into their jobs. You'll get pride out of the yes. fact that they now don't have to look over their shoulder all the time, that they can run with what they want to do too. Mm. Because the truth of it is they want to – sell as many T-shirts as they possibly can. <laughs> they want to make sure this show, you know, sells as many tickets as it possibly can, that you're well set up backstage, that all the dancers have the right refreshments, that they actually want all that to happen. And you ringing up is only getting in the way of them doing their jobs. And I, I feel really bad. Like I realised, I thought that I was being like super helpful and mm. just like amazing. Mm. And now I realise. Just engaged. Yeah. <laughs> Look at how engaged she is. Yeah. And oh. I'd be like, oh my God, exactly. And I now realise it was actually really, demoralizing for people Mm. to have me constantly questioning their ability to do their job but again steep learning curve for Rossiano this year but these are all things that you know I'm 42 in March um and I'm still still not there maybe I'll never be there but yeah the, the the micromanaging is um also I just physically can't do it I'm so I don't know why, but at the end of this year, I'm more exhausted than any other year ever. And like in 2019, I gave birth and did the t- the tour and did the TV show, and I thought that was tired. I don't know why, but my tank is done, and I've not done anything. But I'm so fatigued that I'm like, sure, just just tell me when to show up, and I'll fucking be there in a sparkly dress and have some songs. That's honestly how I feel. 
Do you feel exhausted? Uh, I always. I think for the last thirty years. <laughs> My resting state is exhausted, Em. That's neutral. Okay, I don't Thanks. really know any other state. Like, I've drunk six coffees a day for the last 30 years, you know. Like, <laughs> I am... I don't know what this looks like if I stop putting stimulants into it to keep it going. I think oh my God, I, love I think I just wander down into the paddock and lay down and die. Am I exhausted? <laughs> yes, I'm always exhausted. It's like finally, what? Oh, Will Anderson's passed away. What got him? He yeah. fucking forgot to drink a coffee. Yeah, he was. Oh, okay. He accidentally got some decaf pods. Next six of them the just lay down dropped. for a nap and never woke <laughs> up again. Wake up. It was catastrophic. The caffeine levels dropped. Get that caffeine. Oh, honey, I do. Um, I just I think about you all the time. I went and like these conversations with us are always you asking me questions. But I mean, I often I'll flick you a text to check in. You're like me. You're a bit of a lone wolf. You don't you know you don't go out of your way to connect necessarily no absolutely not so our relationship's a bit flipped because normally it's me I, I i reach out to you because i know that you're in your own personal prison of thoughts <laughs> it's a bit exhausting the idea of maintaining a friendship <laughs> but um i do think about you all the time and i have been wondering like when when are you gonna get out there like what's your plan when are you gonna uh, people who listen to this show regularly have heard me wrestle with this constantly over the last nine months so march 15 what? was my my last gig yeah uh, so that was when i did adelaide fringe adelaide fringe festival final night of the adelaide fringe festival was the last time that i stood in front of people and performed in front of people and then of course obviously gruen it was our 12th season the first season we ever did without a TV studio audience. So I've just been going through that process of, you know, having done the show 10 times, but it doesn't really feel like I've done the show at all. Because to me, even though in essence, you know, we're making a TV show. The yes. live performance aspect of the TV show is only a small <laughs> step in the actual here's the TV show that goes out to millions of people. And again, this year, people watch that TV show. Millions of people watch that TV show. And yet I feel like... We didn't do it because the bit to me that is the show, we just skipped that step. I was like, that's the only bit I'm interested in. I don't even watch the actual show that goes to air. For me, the show is getting in front of the studio audience and doing the show to them. So yeah. we haven't done that. And because this was going to be such a huge year for touring for me, mm. I think that instead of becoming really depressed about that, I did what I often do, which is that I'm just really good at you know, sort of detaching things and putting them in a box and pretending that they're not important to me, right? So Super basically, healthy. yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. I love the sound of that. Woo! Like, compartmentalization. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm sure that mm. look, it's compartmentalized over there, and I'm sure it'll never come back to haunt never. me. Never. So, no. No, it just, won't burst open at an inopportune time. Nah, fine. Be fine. No, no, no. Totally no. I'm locking in a box. Swallow the key. Oh, <laughs> Everything's fine. Perfect. Perfect. Let me know how that ulcer's going in five years, babes. <laughs> So I think initially that's what I did. And I did what I always do, which is that I hustle. I tried to come up with other projects. I tried to, you know, put some things in place that would mean that if I couldn't go back to do stand-up. Because, when, you know, when all this first started, we didn't know if we were looking down all oh, of mate. 2021 being a write-off as well. Now, it looks like that's not going to be the case. People are back doing shows and hopefully, you know, with vaccines and, you know, mm. Australians behaving in a pretty reasonable way, um, 
we might be back doing, you know, pretty full shows pretty soon and maybe for most of next year. So originally I had kind of reconciled myself, you know, I compartmentalized in that little box the idea that 2021 was gone as well. And and so I'd made up a whole bunch of good excuses why that was a good thing, you know, like I knew I really needed to completely, you know, think about what I was doing. Like, you know, I didn't want to be one of those people who's just talking about COVID. I had to come back with really something, you know, super important to say and all these sort of things. Yeah, good really cementing around the outside of the sure. box, really just keep sure. all that stuff over there. I don't even right. like stand-up. It's fine. <laughs> I don't even want to be your friend, so it doesn't matter that you're not my friend because I don't even want to be your friend in the first place. You're dumb and you smell. So, <laughs> so anyway, as it turns out, like I'm going to have to fucking find a way to earn a living next year. And... Mm. Um, you know, live performance is probably the best way for me to earn a living. So suddenly I'm over, you know, by the cemented in box with a sledgehammer trying to break through it and work out. I want to be friends again. I love you. I love you so much. You're all I care about in the world. Please come back to me. You, I mean, yeah, I understand. But that's usually in my shows, I'm the same as you, not as intellectual or cerebral as you, but I try to have like this idea of the audience walking away with a nugget. Like for me, it was women kind of embracing their rage and letting go of the domestic load and all that kind of thing. And I did a show about miscarriages and I did a show about divorce and there's always something in there. And so this thing that I'm doing in March, this show, this trial of my, of the new me, I'm not, I don't have a message. I don't have a deeper meaning. I don't have a pull through. I don't have an arc. I just have a fuck it. We're here. We survived. Let's have a drink. Let's have a sing song. Uh, let's let's talk about the worst tales of what happened while we were with our families nonstop, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. And let's just have a shared experience together. And I'll just do my job as the ringmaster and top and tail it with some funny gags and ha ha ha. So yeah, I, I encourage you to do the same. Maybe don't look for that cerebral angle and just say, oh, I was fucked. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think there's a real truth and like a sensible truth to what you're saying. And I think it's what my friend was trying to say inelegantly the other night as well, which was just fucking get, get over yourself, mate. <laughs> just You tell dick jokes to strangers for a fucking living. Get up there and dance again, oh, monkey. Don't you like, don't. <laughs> you don't tell dick jokes. You don't. You don't. But the point being, you know, that at the end of the day, yeah. you can over-intellectualise what it is that we do. We're you know, comedians, we're, yes. We're comedians, yes. we're jokers. <laughs> like, you know, perhaps yeah. the death of us, you know, doing our job correctly is taking ourselves too seriously. So I, think so. I don't think this is an element of me saying that I want to take um, myself too seriously because I don't think oh, that's no. what it is. No. I think this is that I want to take my work seriously. And yeah. I have had a lingering feeling that I've never I, – because I do the you know, show every year, mm. I do feel like that there was a very natural cap that I had set for myself there that allowed me to never fully realise the potential of things. You know, like it was like an inbuilt thing of going uh, – that my shows I, I think would be very good – but some of them probably could have been great if I'd allowed myself to really open myself to the possibility of making them great. But there was something about having to turn something over within a year, you know, start the next project that yes. always let me off the hook a little about, you know, yep. 
do you have the courage to take a massive fucking risk and turn this into something, you know, that's not just very good, that's something fucking great? And I think that I just instituted that naturally. There's no way that you can make a show, you know, fucking super great in nine months and, you know, doing it 80 times. You need to – I mean – Nanette was a pretty good show when it started out, no doubt. I, I saw that show pretty early in its iteration and it was already a pretty great show. But the reason that it was a worldwide phenomenon, apart from that it came along at an incredibly, you know, right time for a show like that and Hannah had, you know, such a you know a decade of incredible experience. But it was also because she did that show almost fucking constantly for mm. two years before they filmed it and did it mm. everywhere. And so by mm. the time... She got to where it was. It was indeed a great show. Was it a great show when I saw it? I reckon it was a very good show when I first Mm. saw it. And when I watched it on Netflix, it was absolutely a fucking great show. And so Mm. I've never allowed myself to dream of, well, I dream of great, but I've constructed a way of doing things that I think has never allowed me to really aspire to doing something great. And then suddenly you have this time off. And your brain's like, well, if you were going to do something really fucking great, this would be the time that you could do that really fucking great thing. And Mm. now I'm a bit paralyzed by that thought, I think. God, I got goosebumps. That's massive. That's massive, Will. That's a huge thing to realize. Because, I mean, as a peer of yours, I've seen a lot of your shows and your shows are fucking, well, they're 10 out of 10. But I... Knowing you kind of as I've gotten to know you, I do feel sometimes you've got this real vulnerable depth about you that sometimes doesn't always come across on stage because, you know, you're on stage. So I feel like that's the only frontier left for you to kind of mine. Like what Hannah did, you know, she went she went to a place of not feeling the responsibility of the release valve and just telling a real truth. But I, I, I'm excited by the idea that you don't think you've done a great show yet. I'm, I think, um, I'm, 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 I don't know. It just felt really like I got goosebumps thinking, oh, fuck, what would he do? Because you're fucking, you're brilliant. And I just think you've got, there's no, there's no expectations though now. Like everything's been wiped clean. It's been set on fire and it's scorched earth. And I think anything you do from here, people will just be so glad to see you again that I think now's the time to be experimental which is what what's given me permission and bravery to not do the big bells and whistles, which I feel like I've trained my audience to expect, um, is this this idea that we're all coming from the same levelling. And, um, you know, I think now's the time for you. I, I'm so ex- I'm excited. What are you going to well, do? I don't know. Um, so I, <laughs> I think I have my versions of your bells and whistles and smoke and pyrotechnics. Mm. Even though I don't have any of those things, I think within no, you my do, material you do, you do. Yeah. and my structures, like there is versions of what you're saying that I know work yeah. that aren't that are shielding me, that is keeping an emotional distance between me and my audience. Like there is a yeah. protective sort of shield there through some of the ways that I do what I do, and that's why I guess it's been so confronting because I know that. If I want to rebuild, a bit like the world at the moment, right? If I've got to fucking do a full knockdown a bit, you know? Yeah, 100%. I don't, I don't want to just go back. I'm scared the world's going to go back to just how we were before, but just a little bit more shit. And yeah. I don't want me to do that. I want, yeah. like, I would love us to rebuild a better world, but on a very personal sense, I would love me to rebuild a slightly better world just of what yeah. I can control, the things that I make. 
Yes. Well, I think probably what I will do, because the closest to a really great show, like a, sh- a show that I have that I think could be really great is my show Will Eagle that I did about being arrested. That was arrested, as close yep. to me as being. That was being, amazing. Because yes. it was so personal. Like yes. it's a good starting point for. So I think what I might do is put that up on blocks and take that back out like you know have a look at it and kind of rewrite it with what I think I know now and what protections I think I had there and sort of knock down some of those walls a little bit kind of reinterpret that story through who I am now versus who I was then and maybe what I've learnt a little so I think that's probably if I had to have a guess at what I would do I haven't locked anything in but if I had to have a guess (laughs) at what I would do that would probably be because that That also means I don't have to talk about COVID no. I just don't want to have to go back and talk about what everyone else is talking about. I'd like yeah, things to settle enough. a little bit first before I come up with something new. So I think maybe that's what I would do. But yeah. um, anyway, this podcast is not about me, despite <laughs> the fact that it's called Philosophy with Will Anderson, and it is often about me. But oh well, No, I but I don't know. You, I mean, I always, I always forget we're doing a podcast, oh, clearly, when you and I talk and do these things. So it's always often selfishly cathartic for me because that's really interesting. All those things you've said, of, I'm now going to go put into what I'm writing for, for March. I really, I really like the idea of um, putting – 2020 eyes on old material not old but stuff I've, I've written so I've written 12 solo shows and I never go back and touch them so I, I'm going to go back and read them all through new eyes and and I think that will help kind of make this new thing that I'm writing and, and you've just see you've just helped me do that I'm going to totally do that thank you because even I, I what I would love to see I think in in what you do is I bet there's some things that if you look back on them, you go, oh, I'd like to talk about that again, but I'd like to talk about it in a really different way. And to me, that is new material. In fact, that's the most interesting new material. Rather than seeing somebody just doing a bunch of, like Seinfeld will do new material, but it's not new material. It's, you know, it's just Mm. the same material about a different topic. And I mean that in the most respectful way of the greatest comedian in the world. And he would say that, yeah. Yeah, he's very formulaic. Yeah. He has a repeatable yeah. process and he just applies that that view of the world to a different mm. thing. Whereas mm. uh, the comedy that I like is somebody who's revisiting a topic that they had some firm opinion on before and then mm. maybe offering a mu- more nuanced or even different take to what they originally said. To me, that's incredibly interesting. Yeah, and that's totally where I'm at. Oh, my God, I'm going to have... How am I going to do it? If just my, I, would, I just want to like go. See, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> got to go now. Good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you just, I've got to go and write. Um, yeah, this is the and only I think- payment I can give people for the podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> basically, I get on and I hope to inspire some other aspect of your creative work that will give you, you really money. Have. Thank you so much. You've just changed everything. Fuck! I'm gonna throw it all out the window. Um, yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. I, I'm definitely going to talk about COVID in in terms of just being the way it affected mothers because it would be irresponsible of me not to do that because 99.9% of my audience are and they all feel very downtrodden and taken advantage of and exhausted and I do want to acknowledge them in some way and say, I get it. Like. <laughs> I was you, you were me, we see you. Like there's no not going to be any talk about, you know, sneezing and farting and, you know, social distancing, none of that stuff. But just that experience I share with my audience of being in a house with many people and being in charge of everyone's happiness for nine months. It's a unique exhaustion. So So. tell me, I'd love to know a little bit about how this year personally was. You talked about some of the highlights, which was obviously that extra year that you Mm, got with your daughter at a time Mm. in your life that you – 
ordinarily would not have, which is pretty mm-hmm. exciting in of itself. What was the? Let's talk about the good things first, and we can get to some of the messier things. So, um, <laughs> tell me about that year. Like, was your relationship different? I mean, she's an adult now. Yes. Like, talk to me about she, that a bit. She's the best. I mean, she's my best mate. As gross as that sounds, she's always been very. Because I had her at twenty-one, we kind of grew up together. In that, she's always been very mature, and she's got her father's very stoic, sensible nature. Um, but she's also very creative and very clever. So she finished off last year, got ninety, got a huge call, got 97, was getting ready to head into arts at Melbourne Uni. She's going to be acting and writing. And then, you know, she ended up having to do, she, she did schoolies. Then she got glandular fever and then she did a week of uni and then COVID hit. Oh, boy. <laughs> so it was really, and to her credit, just she was amazing so she did all her uni online she was having to do like singing into screens and she got cast in one of the lead roles in uh melbourne uni's rent in their musical and she couldn't do that and she just took it all in her stride and she would do her classes from her room and come out and play with the baby and i don't know it was it was magic it was really good and i um also this year enabled me to really drill down on my nearly two-year-old because like you, coming off the back of 2019 was a massive year for me and I was expecting 2020 to be just huge and um, off the back of Rage and Rainbows and then everything was just kind of altered. And so I don't even know how I was thinking I was going to look after a one-year-old. And I, I wanted to be very involved with him because he was so dearly wanted and, and this year I was so hands-on with him. I was, I'm there for every poo, every jump, every clap. I know every song of the Wiggles. I know all about the Wiggles love lives. <laughs> I know like if they've changed shoes one day. I can tell if Lachlan's put on weight or if he's changed his hair. I know what season it is by the fact if Emma's wearing her wedding ring or not. Like I'm in with the Wiggles. Um yeah, so I think for me this year has enabled me to um, go back into my family and for so long because I'm such a workaholic. I was just kind of making sure they were okay functionally but not actually emotionally being as present as I could be. Um, so that's what this year, on the, the whole thing, I mean, it challenged my my marriage. Like I would be lying. It was like Scott and I talked about separating many, many times. Um, it was just, and then every time I would like say to my best friend, Michael, or to my psychologist, they'd be like, Em, just don't make any decisions this year. Everyone's gone through it. Um, I found we were competing for whose time was more important. You know, like it's my work time, but it's my work time. No, but it's my work time. No, but it's my work time. And it was a lot of that. Um, and just no one is meant to spend that much time with the person that they get naked with every night. Like it's just not, it's not what God intended. So I think it's a really like, I'm glad that you just talk about it out loud because I think it's really hard for people to talk about out loud, but the idea of just being like someone else's like I, I, so much of what I've watched this year, even just on a really basic level before you get to the hard stuff, yeah. so many of the choices that I've made around entertainment this year have just been made on what we can both watch together because oh. there is no time to watch no. anything by yourself. This idea that you like suddenly have your own time where you can do your own things just isn't a thing that exists anymore. And no. it's not... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's probably like I'm sure some people that it is for them and it's, you know, made their relationship healthier and stronger and all those sort of things. But fuck, man. Fuck, like, fuck. 
And I mean this absolutely both ways. Like, you know. Oh, yeah. No one, like, I mean, I'm normally someone who fucks off for like, you know, weeks or months at a time. (laughs) And when you're with someone for long enough who, you know, quite likes that, they've got used to that. And then you're like, and they they just every day are looking at you like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Why are you still here? so true it's so true because my husband he rides and he surfs and he's he goes off and works and does lots of, and i'm always off either touring or gigging and like we were like ships in the night that loved each other yeah. and then the ships had to fucking park next to each other in the wharf it was like oh god and i mean imagine being locked in a cage with me for like uh, same as you like I'm not someone he's meant to be home all the time. And he's an outdoors hero, so he was going crazy when the 5K limit came in. He was just riding circles around our house. (laughs) So so it's just this horrible shitstorm. And honestly, there's just... It's hard, Will. And we're still figuring it out. Like, it's... it's yeah, relation. we've been together 20 years this year. And on our 20th wedding anniversary, we looked at each other and we said, okay, we're just going to be nicer to each other now. It's not going to be any more meanness. And then I think the next day we didn't speak for a week because, I don't know, he ate, ate something from the fridge that I've been saving. So it's like it's, it's just surviving at the moment, letting everything pan out, getting back into some sort of normality, and then figuring out who we are as people and how we make those two walk together. In, in the journey of life, that if anyone's relationship got better, the fuck, man, were you smoking Congratulations a lot of pot? to you. Absolutely. <laughs> congratulations to you. That's what I would say. How? How? Write a book. Go on a tour, write a book. I want to know your secrets. Um, that was- I think that's, that, that's so funny because I think that at one stage when I really wasn't considering doing any touring next year, like when I first said that in front of Amy, like, you know, when somebody's like just face drops and they, they, they try to recover very quickly. Yeah. But, but you see the light just leave their eyes just their soul drift from their ear (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Like I've seen you, uh, I've, you know, I've known you for 19 years. I've seen you for three years. This is how it's meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. It's true. It's true. Oh, it's true. That's, but uh, it, so to answer your question, the, the hardest thing about lockdown was what the effect I had on my marriage. <laughs> Um, so what about, uh, in a world sense, like when you looked out the window, you looked out of the house and you looked at what was happening in the world, what made you happy? What made you sad? I saw a lot of celebrities, I saw a lot of celebrities doing stuff that didn't sit right with me, that celebrities meeting well from their palatial mansions, um, crossing to frontline workers, battling it out in fundraising efforts really annoyed me. And that was a real practice in, okay, they, they, they mean well, but I don't think Elton John thought about coming from his basketball court. I don't think anyone thought about that. And then, like, Oprah had the foresight to turn all her books around because, you know, with the Zoom backgrounds, everyone's obsessed. So all Oprah's books were turned around. So you can see what she was reading. 
So I don't know why she did that. But um, Because she know. has monetized her book club and it would be Correct. giving away that Good information point. Good for point. free. Good point. Good point. <laughs> you'd, have become, like, you'd have become God. like a billionaire by just giving away that information. <laughs> just, also just the author screenshotting the Zoom. Like, look, she reads me. Buy my book. Yeah, no, I um, I don't know. I looked out at the world and... Look, I'm I was glad I was here. I mean, because Americans have this huge sense of self-entitlement that they won't be told what to do because of all their amendments, so they're fucked. Whereas here, I think on the whole, Australians are willing to go, all right, all right, mate, let's do it. We don't like it, but we'll fucking do it. Most. And I, I think this year gave me a great sense of pride in my country. Um, normally, as an immigrant's daughter... I bristle at, be, at being called an Aussie because Australia Day was really awful for me for most of my primary school experience, um, and I'm still very uncomfortable with Australia Day, and I, I don't I don't agree with it and all those things. But oh god, that's what this is going to come about. I'll get all the emails, um, but. I you can send the really emails to me. Don't fucking send the emails, Dan. Feel free to <laughs> send the don't. emails to me. We've got to we change the date. We just need to change the date. It's just an date. fucking disgrace. It's Please ridiculous. change the date. Shouldn't even hesitate about saying Thank it. You. It's fucking ridiculous. Please and we don't, change it, the date. And that's the yep. first and smallest thing that we have to do. <laughs> then we have to get Indigenous representative in fucking parliament. Oh. We have to guarantee it in the constitution. We have to consult with Indigenous people about how we repair the fact that we stole their country. We need a treaty, man. Place. We're the only Seriously, place that doesn't guys. have a treaty. Yeah. Like... There's so many things. All anyway, the things. And my kids All of those know things that. are fucking all true. And things. if you don't believe those things are true, then you're a fucking yeah. idiot and email me, not him. Thank you. <laughs> um, so it, it, this year restored my sense of pride to be an Australian um, in all the ways, you know, in, in the non-traditional flag barbecue thong thing, more in the spirit of, yeah, we're going to look after each other and get it done. That our and system I, is a little bit set or better set up. There are plenty of flaws with our yeah. system, by the way, and yes. we saw some of those absolutely manifest themselves. But the fact that there was an allowance of money for people, there was an understanding that it had to be ongoing, that we um, did, in a general sense, work together. Like even what we're currently going through, I said to you just as we we're about, we're recording at 11 o'clock in the morning, we started and I, I just wanted to see what the New South Wales figures were. There's a little cluster that's just popped up. People will be hearing this close enough to when it happened to understand and it still could go either way. But it feels like... I think in the last four days, 150,000 people have got tested and there was like Amazing. eight new cases. And so it feels like in a general sense, communities have, again, worked together to yeah. shut this down. And yeah. I think that it, much like when the Port Arthur massacre happened and a conservative government was able to bring in gun control, because in a general sense, most Australians just went, no, nah, no, nah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> you know, there wasn't. <laughs> exactly. No one's going, I need a semi-automatic weapon. Yeah, it mm. was... Well, there was in the same way as there's people going, I shouldn't have to wear a mask and I shouldn't have to take the vaccine. But I think in a general sense, the yeah, majority, majority of us are like, Correct. Uh, you know what? It, I might not even like the person who's telling me this, but that does seem yeah. to make a lot of sense. So let's yeah. do that. And I think that's the, the thing that separates us from Americans is that we, we have this sense of we're a community. We're not a bunch of individuals with individual rights and we don't constantly refer to a centuries-old constitution that was written in a time that has no relevance to 2020. But um, I just I, – I was particularly proud to be Victorian. Um, I really was. Like, we, we went through it and 
Dan Andrews, you know, despite the, the hotel quarantine bungle and all the things that went down there, and again, don't send me the letters, I think Dan Andrews handled this in a humane way. I think it was really well done. I think the, the Labor government in Victoria did an exceptional job. Um, yeah, they fucked up, um, but this is, you know, and it was awful, but that's all being investigated and hopefully things come to light and all those things. But on a whole... We did it and now in Melbourne, you know, we're experiencing a somewhat COVID normal Christmas. But, um, yeah, this year as I looked out the window to answer your question finally, it was a, a, just a sense of pride in, in where, I, where I live. I think that's, that's been the big deal. I think the way the media and, and certain celebrities handled it was a bit weird. Um, but on the whole, I didn't lose any faith in humanity, which is always a good thing. But losing some faith in celebrity and in America, I don't actually think either of those things are particularly bad no. things. I think right. our thrall to America, and I've been guilty of this even myself in the way that I've viewed my career, is like I, that it doesn't have some sort of legitimacy unless I have a legitimate mm. American career, which I just mm. now feels like, like I even feel that idea of going, what if I'd been there? What if I got trapped there? What if you were in that country like a bunch of my friends are, you know, while this is going on. I just feel so lucky to be Australian and be in the circumstance that we are back here. But the celebrity thing has been the big one for me, which is... Tell me. It's just never seemed more ridiculous and useless <laughs> celebrity, right? Yep. Like, I mean, I knew that it was ridiculous and useless, but never in the history of humanity do I think there has been a time where celebrity has seemed more out of touch, more fucking useless. And you realise how many of these celebrities genuinely are completely and utterly out of touch even if like you said they mean well they mm. are just so out of touch that not one person in their team or their life just says to them hey maybe maybe this isn't a great idea maybe yeah. just <laughs> maybe at least you like know? oprah turn the books around or maybe you know one of ellen's producers could have sent you're sitting in a $25 million house. Maybe don't compare it to jail because right. people are buying, dying at disproportionate amounts in jail. Like it's affecting the most people. Like it's Ellen, mm. just don't. No, it was weird. You know who has got it right though? Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt has got it right. He has been like while looking effortlessly hot, <laughs> sitting in the back of trucks handing out food. You've never seen him in his house. He's out amongst the people. He's donating money. He's he's actually, he's not doing interviews. He's not telling people about all the things he's doing. It's just, I've just been quietly noticing Mr. Pitt just being an, a legendary human. So look, we've still got Brad, guys. Well, we may have lost Gal Gadot and Ellen and Oprah and Elton and everyone else. All the one-namers. <laughs> All the one-namers are gone. No, Kylie, I think, is still fine. I think yeah, Kylie's fine. still she's fine. fine. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, do you know who Daniel O'Donnell is? Daniel O'Donnell. Yeah. Is he a comedian? No, Daniel O'Donnell is, he's this like, I think maybe Irish, but like he would be with that name, right? But he's a, like, I was going to say, isn't it? wait, there's a comedian, O'Donoghue, da Danny. Who's the comedian I'm thinking of? It's going to kill me now, Will. Danny, uh, all right, okay, go. Yeah, go. He's an Irishman. So, yeah, yeah. Danny O'Donnell. I'm going to look him up and see if I can find out the information about him. Yeah, so he's an Irish Irish singer, and he's basically old people's favorite entertainer. He's the old people's M. Rossiano. <laughs> like you know, so basically he oh. releases these. <laughs> what does that you know, even mean? <laughs> well, as in. 
he's he's a proper old school entertainer, but beloved yeah. by the elderly now mostly, Blessed. right? He's just that yeah. nice Daniel that they all like who sings the songs yeah. and whatever. So during COVID, with no fanfare at all, he just in his local area because all the old people were locked up, he would go out and stand on the lawns of retirement homes and do these like conf- and all the like old people would just come and sit by the windows and oh. he would like get a microphone and like just stand out there and like do concerts for the elderly. Oh, see, that's a good, good. Story. That's that. But there's been a lot of those where mm. non-celebrities are doing, you know, the, the good news. I follow an account on Instagram called good news. Cause I just need it. Okay. And there's been a lot of, yeah, there's been a lot of that. And also all the frontline workers, just my friend, Steve, who um, he got COVID, he's an ambulance driver and he volunteered to go into one of the worst hit um, residential homes, hit old people's homes. And um, cause he speaks Greek and none of the residents speak English. So he went in knowing that he was probably going to get COVID and he translated for all the Greek people, what was going on, um, how they were going to treat them. He translated between the nurses, some of who didn't, inexplicably didn't speak Greek and he did end up getting COVID. He got very sick. He's still not well and he's a fit 27-year-old guy. But just stuff like that, I just, he he knew he was going to get it, but he still wanted to be able to make the elderly Greek people in the home less afraid. And so I think it also, while it's exposed celebrities, it's also brought out some really beautiful stories and, and the true spirit of us as humans that we're not all garbage. Like we can you know, put other people first and want the best for other people. And there has been some great stories. Like there has been. Yeah. And I think that that's what we need to do. We need to reckon with those two things, right? Yes. I was at, I was at the chemist this morning and, you know, having a chat to the, um, the lady who works there and she was talking about how, you know, Christmas is coming up in a couple of days when we we're recording this and, um, just how excited was she was to have a few days off. And I just said to her, I said, it must've been, like a tough year, you know, just working in a pharmacy, you know, yeah. that is still frontline work in the middle of these mm. sort of things. And you could just see it in her eyes. You could just see, and like every time I've gone in there, she's always, we've always had a chat. You'd never know that it was weighing heavily upon her shoulders. Yeah. But just in this moment when yeah. I acknowledge that, that, and you think about that, people who have been working have been working harder and in more difficult situations than they've ever had to work in before. And not for four weeks or four days, but for four months and 14 months and, you know, ongoing are going to have to change the way they work forever. So, yeah, the acknowledgement of who we should really be paying attention to and rewarding in our societies. I mean, I think even the education aspect of it. So homeschooling, I think, has really raised the value of teachers in a lot of parents' minds. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. A million percent. Well, I'm always someone being brought up a flaming left-wing feminist. I've always appreciated teachers, uh, nurses, childcare workers, like my librarians. They're like my mom was always very like, right, these are the most important people in society and you will respect them. And I was brought to not respect lawyers, politicians, like really great left-wing stuff. And um, the teachers, like the, my kids, we're lucky enough my kids go to a school where they did all the curriculum. The teachers oversaw it. I just had to make sure that Odette wasn't in her pyjamas and showed up in front of her computer screen. And it was incredible. And they kept in contact to make sure that, because my middle child is 13, and if you can imagine being plucked from your friendship group at the most crucial time when all you want is your friends, um, the teachers made sure the kids were all kind of keeping in contact and, and the, the, the emotional welfare of the kids. That's the other thing 
you need to what you're saying now is people need to be seen so that the, the woman that you spoke to at the pharmacy she felt seen by you and it's that little bit of energy that escaped her when you said that 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 she was able to kind of go oh okay someone has noticed so I think it's important to notice your kids I think it's important if you have kids and you're listening if you haven't already said to them well fucking done on getting through this year because this is something that's scary that you can't really intellectualize to know there's going to be an end because you're not an adult, you're missing your friends, you don't get a choice, you're doing school from home, all these things. And we just expect kids to roll with it. We just expect, oh, well, they'll, just, they'll just go. But I don't think that's fair. So I really made sure that I looked both my kids in the eyes and said, well done. This year has been hectic. But I think if you see a nurse or a teacher or the, the deli worker at the IGA, I think it's important if you've benefited from their frontline service, I think it's important that you say thank you because you'll get teary eyes. Like when you go out to get your Christmas stuff or when you're going out to get your Boxing Day stuff, whatever, just do it for me. Just think I'm going to do it for M. Look at the person behind the counter and say, man, thank you. Thank you for showing up to work because I think that's what needs to happen now, that general acknowledgement, like you said, of the people who just kept showing up every day. They're not celebrities. But they, they went down and they opened the supermarket so we could get our dunning paper and they, they went to the pharmacy and they went to the emergency rooms and they made the masks and they did all the things so that we weren't terribly inconvenienced. I hope that they're all getting big thank yous. That's what I hope. And the broader sacrifices I imagine that they made in their lives, you know, yeah. the the invitations to catch up with people that they turned down because it would expose them to a situation yeah. where they wouldn't be able to go and do their jobs. Like, I mean... I imagine if you're a, like, say, a healthcare worker of any kind yep. or an aged care worker of any kind, you've essentially turned down any invitation to any barbecue, any party, even when you've been allowed to go to those things, because for you, yep. the risk is still much higher than it is for everybody else. So I imagine there's been an unseen sacrifice by those people as well. Oh, yeah. And the people who work in the COVID wards, the actual doctors and nurses who are in the COVID wards had to not see their families for six months. Like, not see their kids, their mums, their dads, because they cho- they're in there. And I also, like, it, you don't think about a lot of them mm. caught COVID. A lot of them got sick. And we don't hear those stories. We don't hear that stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that maybe it'll come out once we're through it all. But th- the people I think about most are those doctors and nurses and the registrars in, in the hospital, in the COVID wards when we we're at peak, especially in Melbourne when we we're getting 800 cases a day. Those people are fucking heroes, Will. They're just heroes. Like they, I don't know that I would have been, I don't know if I could have shown up every day and, and given up seeing my kids and my mum and dad and it's a big Work deal. incredibly long shifts, expose yourself to like yeah. a risk of a deadly disease that you're seeing on the front line mm. and, you know, just do it because, you know, society needs you to do it. They need you to sacrifice and yeah. we just have not heard stories of, you know, nurses walking out of hospitals or people refusing to, that just hasn't fucking happened. So the, like, and no. the supermarkets no. have still opened and yeah, I, it's incredible. Yeah the resilience of people and that's why every time you know i was in a shop or i was somewhere and somebody would ask me you know hey you must have lost a lot of work this year i'm like yeah and that was a really shitty thing and we'll have a whole bunch of ramifications on my life in a whole bunch of different ways and none of those things are not true but i had the easiest choice of all which was just stay at home (laughs) and don't do anything 
That was my way of, you yeah. know, contributing to this was just stay at home and don't do anything. I even know during Gruen. Yeah. Because, you know, at the time we were taping Gruen, like there were zero cases basically, you know, in Australia at the time for most of while we were doing it, which mm. was amazing, right? But we still were overly cautious. Mm. We didn't have a studio audience. We took a long time to yeah. get our guests all in the same studio. We had a COVID safe distance. But my role, because if I couldn't do the show, if I got sick in any way or exposed in any way, the entire production goes down. You know, everybody loses their job. Mm. I was super paranoid about, you know what, I've been invited to a, you know, a Friday night birthday barbecue thing, but I don't know everyone who's going to be there. I know there's not going to be adequate social yeah. distancing. I'm just going to say no because I just don't want to expose myself to that sort of risk. I did that for 10 weeks and in a mm. pretty that three-quarter asked way. Not half asked, but three-quarter yeah. asked. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't still going to <laughs> yeah. the shops. It wasn't like I wasn't still, you know, yeah. doing a whole bunch of real-life things. You know, I think I was like three-quarter yeah. asked. And it felt like a massive fucking sacrifice. <laughs> there was a whole bunch of people yeah. who were, you know, not just, you know, yeah. were doing that all year, but obviously doing it in a much much stricter yeah. way than that. It's incredible. And, yeah, I hope we do mm. um, reward them. I hope we do come up with a day that, yeah. um, you know, that, that it's something that we can do in a really – well, I mean, the best way we could is pay them mm. adequately, right? That's what I was going to say, yeah. I mean, rather I than January a March or a day, free. they would actually probably prefer just a check, yeah. a raise. <laughs> money. Just yeah. give me cash. <laughs> I agree. Oh, the money – I can't believe yeah, – the nurses just don't get paid much at all. No, I – look, on this podcast right now, if you're a nurse, if you're a front – we both say to you – Thank you so, so much. We appreciate you. We see you. And a lot of that's, um, nurses that's are saying, that's great, but send us a check. <laughs> much preferred. Give me the, the money. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. And fair enough, too. Absolutely. All oh right. We, um, we should finish up, uh, but it's always a fucking pleasure to um, catch up with you. I oh, appreciate same. that you do, do this, it. and I appreciate you. I think, you know, the world is a better place with you in it, and I am excited about, you know, What's next? What's coming up next? Wherever this gig may be that at some stage you're going to be able to announce that will be very exciting, I'm sure. Definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. Some so place. I highly encourage Something. when people are going to this gig, wherever it may be, uh, <laughs> that you uh, have an awesome time and I hope it's going to be really cool and I look forward to getting you back on and hearing all about what it's like without the okay. dancing vaginas. I know. Well, my dad will still be there. It's all right. Vince will still be there. What do you do for Christmas? Are you a Christmas family? Um, Yes. Well, we're not religious anymore. Um, So my mum and dad always have Christmas carols at their place. Uh, So we go around there Christmas Eve. They just live five minutes down the road because we're waltz. And then we we all sing songs and then we watch the carols, um, the Melbourne carols by candlelight and like – heavily critique mm. all the singing. It's amazing. My dad loves it. It's his favourite thing. And then Christmas Day is pretty low-key. I have all the family here Boxing Day. So um, I'm just currently getting the house ready for that. I've had to I've had to order a, a storage box, a cool box, two-by-two-metre two taxi box that I can put all the meat in. God, we're such <laughs> ethnics. So um, I'm, I've never been more excited about an arrival than my cool box coming. That's how we know I've hit peak middle age. I've got an extra freezer coming and I'm really excited excited by that prospect i'm going to pick up the prawns i'm going to pick up the flowers um it's i really enjoy christmas i enjoy seeing my family and um 
I don't know. I, I feel like also this is the last one. My, I think my teenage daughter is probably going to be overseas this time next year. I think I'm really savoring getting her together with everyone at the moment and just, um, you know, this this new way of being of just taking it all as it comes and allowing it to happen instead of like white knuckling it and pushing it all away and trying to make it bend to my will. So, um. We'll see. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk again in a few months. We'll see where I'm at. It's the only way that it should be. Um, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. People can find all your stuff, of course. Um, where do they want to go to? mrussiano.com? Is that what you... Ah, uh, yeah, mrussiano.com. Instagram. Um, the podcast will be back in February. We did very well with that. Uh, I have to get you on too. It's your turn yeah. to come on my podcast. I'm available. And uh, yeah, just at... <laughs> yeah, good. We'll be, we'll be me grilling you um, at M. Rossiano. But just, just, I don't know, don't Google news my name because it's not pretty. Just like Google my name. Don't press, don't press the news button just on Google. Just listen to these podcasts. That's all <laughs> you need good. to do. It's fine. Oh, if only if I, if I could put philosophy in every ear of every person that's ever read a Daily Mail article, if I could somehow make that happen, it'd be good for me too. I'd be really boost the numbers. <laughs> so if you can work out some way to do that, that'd be great. I will. I'll be telling everyone. But I think if you listen to the four now, I'm going to go back and listen to the first one in a couple of weeks and just see who she is. I'm interested. That's a couple of years ago now, so we'll see. Thank you um, for having me. I love you dearly. I care about you. I'm looking forward to this great show that's going to come from you. And Merry Christmas. And um, I can't wait to see you. I haven't seen you in so I long. Know, in it's person. been a very, oh God, very long time. I don't think I've hugged anyone other than my partner for like nine months. <laughs> Same. I don't even think I've hugged him in six. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> Thanks, mate. See ya. Oh, 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 oh,